Hello and welcome to Abra Apero. This is your host, Sophia. And on today's episode, we're talking about a fun and a little bit scandalous opera. And uh, But before we get into that, on the show today is my friend, Marguerite. Hi, everyone. I am so, <laughs> so happy to be here. I can't wait to be a part of this. Marguerite, how do we know each other? Sophia and I met at work. We worked on the same team for a little while. Um, we also share a mutual love of many things. <laughs> <laughs> you laugh, but it's true. What are the many things we share a love of? Um, we share a love of used books. We like alcohol. Not alcohol, but but cocktails and mm-hmm. wine. Mm-hmm. Um, we share a love. We share a love of J. Crew jackets. Oh my god! You like got me into the New England like aesthetic of dressing <laughs> I, because I was a little Florida girl all alone in Boston, had no idea how to dress, and you like introduced me to that world. <laughs> we also share a love of live sporting events. As someone who knows nothing about sports. I will say my fondest memory of Boston involves a live sporting event with Sophia. Yes. Every April I get a little Google photos reminder that we went to that Bruins playoff game. And I was like, how sick is it that our first, well, my first hockey game, I don't think it was your first hockey game. It was my first professional hockey game. I went to a couple, I went to a couple like collegiate hockey games. Okay. Our first professional hockey game together was a playoff game for the Boston Bruins. And, and it was a great game. It was a very scandalous, not unlike opera. It was a very scandalous <laughs> game. <laughs> I love that game so much. <laughs> okay, cool. So, uh, have you been to an opera? I have been to an opera. I've been to a couple of operas, actually. Um, I really love the opera. I grew up listening to the opera with my parents. Um, I will say I am more removed from the like plot of operas and I'm much closer to the music of operas just because I grew up listening to that. But my parents, you know, they had tickets to the opera. They had season tickets to the opera. They often went. To the Met? To the Met, yeah. And so I just kind of grew up around it. But I will say that your podcast has sort of gone beyond the realm of what I'm familiar with. And I've learned a lot from listening to your podcast. So um, while I have been exposed to the opera before, and I love opera content, you know, there's just, I think it just speaks to how much exists and the differences between different countries, versions of opera and all of that good stuff. So, so yes, I, I have been to an opera. Okay. Perfect. Um, So, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about this one because this one's more of a, like, less famous Rossini or less played Rossini. But I watched it. It's really funny. And um, it's also, like, it's really funny but also really scandalous. It's probably, like, I... 
I was watching it. I was a little like buzzed on limoncello when I watched it, but I was watching it and like literally like my hand went up to my mouth like, oh my God, are they really doing this on screen right now? <laughs> like, I can't believe this. Um, and we'll, you'll see why. <laughs> um, so, wait, before we get into that, you mentioned that you do like Rossini. Yes. Can you tell me about Rossini? Uh, yeah, I would love I would love to tell you about Rossini. So, um, what I'll say is that uh, two operas I have seen live are two of Rossini's more famous operas. One is The Barber of Seville, and one is um, La Tarantola, or more commonly known as Cinderella. Um, he he from like an op from like an opera standpoint, he is known for his one, expressive overtures, and two, um, his use of crescendos and climax in, in opera. So that's my, that's my little spiel. Um, I will say the overture to La Tarantola is, like, maybe my most played song on Spotify. Like, there's just, <laughs> there is just a break within, like, the first 40 seconds of it where it just, like, explodes in such a satisfying way to me. Um, I'm sure it's actually one of those pieces of music that I think most people have heard and not realized the origin of. Hmm. So, so I'll pitch that. I'll pitch that as well. But yes, um, he's also probably one of the more, more famous um, composers next to obviously Mozart is the one I'll give the biggest props to. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. This is the Rossini's opera Le Contori. It was first played in the Paris Opera in 1828, and uh, it takes place in France in the 1200s. So basically, we'll just get right into it. Um, we start off in this little village in France, <laughs> and um, all the noblemen have left the village to go on to the Crusades, and the women are all alone in the town. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to learn more about this. <laughs> um, so the count of the area, the, the Count de Formoutier, has left along with them. And he's left behind his sister, the Countess Adele. Uh, and the Countess Adele has her kind of like lady-in-waiting, like companion, like buddy, pal, whose name is Ragond. Um and since all the men have left, the women have taken a vow to kind of like live as widows, not have any other men around them uh, while they wait for the men to come back. Um, and our, uh, I guess, you know, titular character, the Contorie, is kind of um, like a womanizer. He and he knows he knows that all the men are gone and he is just like Countess Adele. She's the one that I want. Um, so he devises a scheme where he dresses up as a hermit and goes to the village. And he has his friend, Rambeau, go to the village and announce the arrival of this hermit who is here to impart his wisdom and counsel anyone who's going through difficult problems. Um, so, you know, there's only women in the village, <laughs> So all these women approach the hermit with all their love problems and stuff. And he counsels them and blesses them. Um, and 
you know, gives them advice. And then um, later on, Rangond, Adele's servant, kind of lady-in-waiting, comes uh, and tells the hermit, who is Ori, that – so he's the hermit. Uh, and he, she just is like, by the way, like the Countess Adele, she didn't want to come with the big group of like people in public. But ever since all the men have left, she's uh, she has a certain melancholy to her. <laughs> No, she's she's just like a little sad uh and she wants to seek your counsel to like how to make it better and ori is just like as the hermit like oh my god this is my chance and he's like yes of course i'm willing to help her he's just jazzed that at this opportunity um so afterwards isolier who is Ori's page comes onto the scene with also Contori's tutor, um, and they're both looking for him. So they're both looking for him, and who do they run into instead? This hermit. And uh, the tutor is just like, he sees all the like lone single women in the town, and he sees this hermit, and he's just like, you know. I know Contori, and I know this seems like a Contori thing to do. This just seems like a thing that he would do. And so he's very suspicious of the hermit. So he leaves to go get backup to kind of like prove his point. Um, and then Isolier still hasn't put this together. And Isolier sees this hermit as like truly like a person who can help him. So he goes up to the hermit and he's like, you know what? I'm actually in love with Adele, the Countess. And (laughs) he's like, and in addition to being in love with her and like knowing that she like reciprocates my feelings, I have this plan to dress up as a, like a nun, like a female pilgrim and sneak into the castle since as you know, they're not letting men in. So I will sneak into the castle dressed up as a woman um, and Ori is just like, oh my God, what a great idea. I will support you in this. I will help you get this like done. And he promises to help him, but secretly, you know, secretly in, in which he announces it to the audience, but not to Isobier, he says, I'm actually going to use this idea for myself. <laughs> He's like, this is a great idea. Why didn't I think of this first? <laughs> um, and so, then Isolier departs, being reassured that he's going to receive the Comte's help. And Adele arrives secretly well, while everyone else is gone. She arrives and uh, she releases her woes onto Ori, who is still dressed as the hermit. And uh, Ori counsels her and is like, well, you know what? You know what would take care of your problem? Having an affair. And so at this point... Adele is like, oh my God, I'm so glad you said that because I'm actually in love with someone, Isolier. Uh oh. And you're like, oh my God, this is so great. Isolier and Adele already like in love with each other. Perfect. Um, and so the cow does not go for that. No. Um, so Ori is just like, you know what, have an affair, but. Probably not with Isolier, and you know why? Because he's just, like, really associated with that, like, very nasty count. 
Like people who run with those kinds of circles, like, mm -mm. (laughs) and she's like, okay, like, thank you. Um, And so also because this is like a comedic opera in all of the scenes where Contoré, the, whether he's disguised or not, is like interacting with women. He's usually like, as he's singing and being very gentle, he's also being like a little bit like touchy and flirtatious. Um, And oh yeah, this is kind of one of those ones where like, it's really fun to watch because it's very like, I think the acting takes it a lot further. Um, But so then She's very, like, thankful for the fact that he has, like, given her counsel and also been, like, okay, you know, um, like, steered her away from ill. So she leads him, like, towards the castle and is, like, oh, like, should just, like, stay and blah, blah, blah. And then before they can go in, the tutor re-enters with his backup um, and kind of – he's just, like, you are Contori. I do recognize you. And they, like – remove his disguise and everyone's just like shocked and astonished that it's Contori. Uh, It's really very much like those like cartoon network situations where they're like, they put on glasses and they're like, I don't know who that is. They take the glasses off. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Yeah. And so, uh, where was I? Oh, yeah, yeah. So they show that it's Contari, and he kind of just, like, everyone's shocked. He, like, scuttles off. um, And then Adele receives a letter saying that the men of the village will be returning home in the next couple of days. And that's the end of Act One. I think that there is a lot of room for things to go wrong. You know, dressing up as other characters to be deceptive is sort of a common, a common trope in a lot of operas. And it's always really fun. Like whenever this happens, it's always really fun. Um, It is a little naughty. Like it's a little bit naughtier than I was expecting. Mm -hmm. And and I also will say I really do appreciate a good love triangle. It's going to get naughtier. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a naughty opera. I love it. Oh, oh no, my God. I'm going to start blushing. I don't uh, – I'm not used to this. Okay. I'll send you a YouTube clip after this. <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait. <laughs> um, so act two starts. So this is only a two-act opera actually. Um, yeah. Short. Yeah. It's, a uh, you know, I guess when there's not so much drama, it's just f- funny times. It's rather fast paced. Um, so act two, the women of the village have gone back into the castle and closed themselves off. And they're all like, oh my God, Contari almost got us. And, but thank goodness he didn't. Um, And then suddenly they hear like a storm going on outside. It like there's lightning and thunder and like they can, they feel the shaking and like the wind hitting the walls. Um, 
And outside the castle, they hear all of these like uh, voices of uh, female pilgrims singing, saying like asking them and like begging them for shelter from the storm. And also from protection from Contori, who is uh, desperately pursuing them. And um, having just escaped Contori's pursuance, they yield. And also the storm, too, because it's a pretty bad storm. So the countess and the women decide to let these uh, pilgrims into the castle and also give them a basic meal of, like, fruit and bread. Uh, And to thank them. The the lead of the group, Sister Colette, asks to talk oh, to no. the countess and thank her personally. Um, so Sister Colette and Adele meet, uh, and uh, I guess I guess we can see where this is going. <laughs> so Sister Colette is the Countess Ori Count Ori dressed up, uh, and it's his, it's his new disguise. Yeah, I mean he idea. did. He did say he was going to take Isolier's idea, so that is, in fact, what he did. Uh, and all the other pilgrims are his, like, buddies also dressed up as, as like, nuns. <laughs> um, well, it's about to just be a, a castle full of men. He, yeah, it's, 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 it's now 50-50. <laughs> good, good. We're we're at a balance. Um, <laughs> well, that's that's very useful for everyone. <laughs> you know, it's something only it's 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 something an engineering team can only dream of. Oh no! Oh, they all right. Can only imagine where this goes. Um, so in the scene between Contari dressed up as Sister Colette and Adele, who Adele, they just don't recognize the disguise ever. Um, I have a question. In like yeah. staged versions of this, is it just like a wig? Like, is it particularly comical how removed from reality everyone is? Uh, it's like pretty comical. It's like very much like these men are dressed up in like full nuns garments usually and like twirling around the stage and <laughs> it's a very comical opera so everything is done to like the extreme mm-hmm. um yeah and so yeah so sister colette is like thanking her and again like contori when he's alone with these women he just like his sister. He's act as sister Colette, so the whole scene is him like thanking her, and like as they're like singing and dancing together, he's getting like very close to her, like just like holding on to her, and she's just like, "Oh my god!" Like, what, this what is, is this a, woman doing? She's like, "This is a what very is affectionate sister," um, and <laughs> trying to be respectful, but also like have boundaries and like, <laughs> yeah. So she's just like, "All right." Um, you're welcome. Goodbye. Like, enjoy your night. You get your rest. And she's a little disturbed by, like, the touchiness of the sister. But she's just like, they're pilgrims. Uh, it's fine. And then in the meantime, one of Ori's men found a wine cellar. Uh, oh, no. 
because as I might remind you, um, the only food that like the castle was willing to give them was like bread and fruit uh, and like milk. And so nothing fun. So the men are just like, where's the wine? (laughs) And one of them finds the wine cellar. And so they all start drinking wine and dancing around. And so it's a bunch of men dressed up in nuns garb uh, dancing around and doing like their drinking songs. And then Ragond, who is, you know, Adele's person, shows up. She starts to approach. And as they hear her approaching, they start they change their drinking songs into just like prayers, but like they're already really drunk. So they're just very like loud, feisty prayers. <laughs> uh, and then they hide the bottles under the like large garments. <laughs> Did you buy it? Oh yeah. <laughs> this is okay. This is like fully like cartoon land where like, if you wear a costume, no one can tell who you are. <laughs> Right. Um, so nuns obviously pray. Sisters obviously pray. Therefore, it's a very normal situation to be praying in the wine cellar. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Of course. Exactly. So they're like, oh, this is fine. Continue on. Then in the next scene, Isolier arrives at the castle and he's arrived to let the ladies, and you know, he's a man, but he's arrived to let the ladies know that the men of the castle will soon be back. Pretty much oh, like no. very, very soon. Isolier is like led into the castle and he's like communicating all this information to them. Uh, and while he's in the castle, he sees this group of nuns and he's like, hold on a second. <laughs> he's like, wait a second. Didn't I, didn't I have this plan? Didn't I, didn't I do this thing? Uh, and yeah, so he recognizes Ori and his whole idea. Uh, and on the like separately, he's like talking to the women and he lets the women know that that whole group of nuns is actually Ori and his men. What a spoil sport. <laughs> well, okay. Isoli is like desperately in love with Adele. Yeah. Yeah. No. Fair. And someone has to save the day. It all had to go awry at one point. I'm assuming that point is now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited for the next part. (laughs) This opera really does go pretty quickly. (laughs) So the women are all kind of like shocked that it's these men. And... I need to know. <laughs> okay, hold on. They're shocked that this is men. And and they're like, what are we gonna what are we gonna do? Uh and and Isoli is like, don't worry, like we can lay a trap for them because if he knows the contari, which he does because he's his page, um he knows that Contari will try to hook up with Adele and but Adele and Isolier are already like in it with each other so they're like we're gonna play a trick on him um so 
the next scene opens and it's Isolier and Adele in her bedchambers. And they're like having their lovey-dovey time, but also like waiting for Ori to show up because they kind of just expect that. And uh, it's completely dark out and Ori shows up (laughs) and he enters the room still pretending to be Sister Colette. And he begins to sing about like, oh, like, I don't know, like, I'm scared of like the wind or whatever outside and trying to seek comfort and but eventually just trying to like worm his way into her bed. (laughs) But in her bed is Isolier. And so that's the whole trick is that all three of them are in bed and Isolier has Adele keep responding like verbally to Ori while Ori like kind of like is fondling Isolier. Oh no. And this is at the this is the point where there's this beautiful, beautiful masterpiece (laughs) trio, which is called A la faveur de cette nuit obscure. Um so it's very much like in the darkness. Oh no. And this is the part where I was watching it, and I will say I think Rossini wrote a threesome into an opera. No. Yes. No. Because it really depends on how the actors portray it. But you have Adele speaking verbally. And Isolier and Ori are kind of just like fondling. Are, is, is Ose- but then also like Adele's in the bed. And so if you act it in a certain way, all three can just kind of be, be like is, is grooving with it? each other. Just, just asking. Like, are they into it? Yeah. Yeah. Very progressive for what? The 1800s? Yeah, 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 the 1800s, yeah. So that's why I was watching this, and I was like, this is a threesome. This is a threesome in the opera. And I I feel like not enough people talk about it. (laughs) I can't see how this ends. I can't see how they can, like, I feel like in my perfect world, they all come out of this perfectly satisfied and have a beautiful new relationship. Polyamory relationship? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in, in its own special way, in like a <laughs> in like an 18th century p- pilgrim nun sort of way. <laughs> I I feel like I'm gonna get like like the depths of hell are gonna open up and like pull me down for even putting those words in the same sentence. <laughs> um, yeah. So. You know, after they have their little threesome. <laughs> uh-huh. Also, this is the point where I want to actually reveal that um, Isolier is actually a pants role. So it's a female voice singing a male character. I don't know if we should pause on that or if we should just talk about it. We can talk about it after the opera's over. Yeah, yes. I would love to talk about I would love to, like, pause on that. I think that's very interesting. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so they have their little like, okay, honestly, the libretto doesn't say it's a threesome, but I'm calling it a threesome. They have their little threesome. And they're menage um, a trois. This is in French. Let's let's, let's you know what? Good point. I didn't actually mention this at the beginning of the opera. This is an Italian composer, but it's a French opera. So I it's a French language was, opera. I just assumed because the song title was in French and yeah. Yeah. Um, so then eventually Isolier reveals his identity to Ori, who's just like, oh, all right. I've been had. I've <laughs> you know what? You guys, you you all you got me. <laughs> you did it. Um and Adele is just like, okay, yes, can you like take your men and leave before all the men of the village like return and like so we don't get in trouble for you all being here and stuff? Um and uh Isolier is just like, I will lead you through a secret passage so we're not caught. And so they all head out, the men of the village return, and everyone's happy, and that's the end of the opera. So, so first of all, I love that there's just no conflict at all. Like, everyone ends up happy. Everyone gets what they want. You know, Ore and um, and Isolier are probably even closer because of this. <laughs> In many ways. In the biblical sense, even. The ways that threesomes bring, just bring friends together. Bring, just bring, oh, gosh. Wow. That is, that is a tale. Mm-hmm. Why, why don't more people talk about this? I don't know. I mean, it's a little silly. It is. It is very silly. <laughs> but that's why it's so good. Hey, I'm going to have to watch this one. Oh, I'm going to pull up the YouTube video right now. <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I feel I feel scandalized. Like, just imagine, imagine like being your 18, I guess 18th century France was scandalous in its own way. Was it? I, I feel like, yes, I don't, don't quote me on my French history, but I've watched enough period piece television. (laughs) Um, I feel like the, I feel like France was cons- 1800s France was considered like I understand that this takes place in what the 1200s but I feel like if you were watching this in the 1800s you would not feel scandalized hmm. I could be wrong I wouldn't this is not an educated approach no, I have no idea either. I'm like, would someone in the 1800s in France? I feel like surely people have had threesomes for all. I don't know. I'm really just stuck on the threesome. I was watching it and I was like, I've watched a lot of opera by this point, And there's been a lot of scandalous stuff, which I really wasn't expecting. But I truly was not mm-hmm. expecting the threesome. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the best part about it is that it's actually two women and a man. Like, that's really what I want to focus on here. Yeah. <laughs> because that makes it not scandalous. Not, I mean, I'm trying to think from, like, an audience perspective, not from, like, my own personal perspective. 
I feel like that makes it like titillating. Why is that? Um, societal norms and like acceptability of sexuality in mm. society. Um, mm-hmm. Not that I agree with it, but I do think that like, I think that there's like a couple of layers to it potentially. Like one is uh, maybe just like the character needed what um needed to like have a higher voice and therefore was a female but like i think in in like realistically it was probably cast as a female as a male role because one it like adds the gender bendingness of the actual overall opera but also it probably allowed for a scene like that to be allowed i could be wrong but i do think that like it was probably less shunned or like less looked down upon to have two women be seductive to a man than to have two men be seductive to a woman hmm yeah and so yeah I mean so I've been trying to like learn more about like opera voices and voice types and like how they associate with characters and so what I was like reading is that usually try to like create contrast or Mm. put voices together that can meld together and so if you have like the contori who's a tenor um, against the like soprano of Adele, and then you have the isolier who's kind of in the middle, like he's torn between being a page to contori but also being in love with Adele. So in that way, you can kind of like create that difference. Um, Interesting. But I also see what you're saying, um, and I think that's where like the complexity of how you act it comes in because the version I saw was put on by the Met in 2011. So it was very much like a new, very new production where they could just try to like be super scandalous with it. Um, and I haven't seen other productions of it. Cause I'm just like, Nope, it's a threesome. I don't want to see anything else. That's not a threesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm very stuck on this one part. <laughs> No, and I really, I feel like the listeners deserve to be stuck on this one part. (laughs) Yeah, I do think that that's interesting because it does have, it does allow that like tension to play off. Um, Would there be, I'm just trying to think like now, now I'm like projecting onto it. Um, I also think because you don't really, you're not really rooting for anyone. Right. Like I, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. But th- does the opera set you up to like want Adele to be with the Count or want Adele but to be with a Like That's a great question. I don't think the opera. I don't know. I think it's like the, the fun of like the comic operas. It doesn't really set you up to root for anyone. It sets you up to like enjoy the fun of it. Y- yeah. You're like, I just want to see this, like, shake out. <laughs> I, I'm i so interested in this. Like, yeah. Do you think they all enjoyed it? Like, what, Yes. What- oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. The fact that they, like, all team up afterwards to be like, all right, now you have to leave. You know what? Isolier still in love with Adele, but still going to help Ori escape the castle. Like, all I'm saying is that I did say at the beginning that Rossini was very big on climaxes. And here we are. 
Yes. <laughs> Ooh, I am I am getting hot. I am turning red. Yeah. That's also yeah. just fun. It's so fun and everyone's so happy and satisfied at the end. Everyone comes. It's great. <laughs> Sophia. <laughs> oh my god. Um that's whew. Whew. Um, but yeah, no, like, that's the other thing. Like, maybe we're just, or like, I'm just thinking too much about this. Like, maybe the, the opera solely exists for the enjoyment that you get while you, while you watch it and the enjoyment that you get from the story and the enjoyment that the three main, the three main parts get from each other. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how does this fit into your understanding of your other Rossini operas? Um, you know, I think at like a high level, opera is funnier than people I think give it credit for. Every opera I've seen and have been familiar with, with a couple of exceptions, have been funny. Like they have... They have funny, they have, they're funny, they have levity. Um, even if they're dramatic, you know, there are points that, that are silly. Um, and I think that this is probably a very, like, good representation of just how f- comical th- opera can be, especially for a lot of people who sort of just, you know, they know Carmen and they know... Madame Butterfly, then all these operas where like terrible or Don Giovanni, like terrible things happen to these characters. Um, but yes, I think that when people think of opera, like that's more what they think of. Like heroine dies, man is terrible, gets dragged down to hell. When like yeah. there, it can it can also exist just for like the pleasure of a silly story, a silly sexy story. Um, but then, like, and, like, the other, the other thing um, is that I think that gender bending is, like, also a big, a big theme in opera. But I think that that's, um, like, another interesting, like, theme that, like, people don't realize is that a lot of these, a lot of, like, tropes we use today to tell stories came from opera as well. Yeah. Yeah. Do you wish that more people watched operas? Yes, I think, um, yes, I think that a lot of people suffer from, like, once again, the only operas they're exposed to are, are sort of, like, sad, um, and they're only exposed to, like, certain pieces of music from operas, but I think that if more people can get over the fact that, like, many of them are not performed in English... They shouldn't be performed in English. And they understand, especially if they choose to go to like the opera live, like just the amount of like the amount of effort it takes to put on a production, to cast a production, to find the talent, to dress people up, to like get the costumes done correctly, to get the sets done correctly, and how innovative how innovative these productions can be, like it really starts to open open up this world of like oh, this is extreme. Like, not only do we have these, like, really fun plot lines and these really sometimes very intricate 
plot lines, but we also have like this whole this whole world of construction that that is doesn't really exist in any other form of entertainment. Um, yeah, in my I, opinion, I am on the like I one hundred percent agree with you on the like costume side. Like I found out that the Met when they like invest in a production, they create the costumes, but they create them in such a way that they can adjust them to really? the size of like the singer. So they can use them depending on like who they get for a certain like because they invest in a production and then they do that same thing over the course of a, like maybe like 10 years. So they do it in 2011 maybe, but then they do it again in 2013 and they just use the same like set and costumes again. And yeah, there's like a lot that goes into it. Uh, yeah. And I, and I guess just like my last piece there is like, I've been to some operas that were super dry and long and like super boring and super depressing. Um, <laughs> like not everything's for everyone, you know, it's, I think once again, like I think I just, people give it an unfair rep rap because that's what they're expecting when like there are really light, funny, funny things. And Sophia does get really shocked when she sees a threesome at the end of a friggin' opera. <laughs> um, so like what got you into opera? Um, yeah. So I think like the, <laughs> like one was just, yeah, listening, listening to the music. Like we listened to the Barber Seville, um, the marriage of Figaro, and then secondarily, like, Cosi Vansuti and um, La Cherandola. Like, we listened to those four operas pretty consistently every night growing up, just while we were eating dinner. Like, that was just our background music up till I was, like, 12 or 13, like, for a really, really long time. So, like, I am so intimately familiar with, like, the music of The Marriage of Figaro just because, like, I would listen to it in its entirety. And it was just, like, that's what was phased into my brain. But I wouldn't say that that got me into opera. I think like all young people like get taken to a production of the Magic Flute, which is like friggin' bonkers. It is a bonkers opera, but it's it's um, it's it's very fairy tale like and easy to follow. So I think it's just the kind of thing that like parents will take their kids to. So when my parents had these season tickets, they um, brought me to the Magic Flute, and I really liked it. And then like PBS did a streaming of it, and I like wanted to watch the streaming of it. Um, my parents also, my mom took me to see uh, La, La Tarantola because, like, I was familiar with the concept of Cinderella. And, like, that was another one where it's a little bit different, a little bit darker um, in certain ways and lighter in certain ways. But, like, seeing a story that I knew that, that I could follow along because I knew the story. So it wasn't hard for me to, like, switch between reading and watching because I knew it was going to happen. Like, that was another um, sort of, like, gateway into it. And I can tell you, I don't want to speak for my dad, but like my mom got my dad into opera when they were dating. And my dad, I think it was, I think it was actually Carmen who was like, who's like, I hate this. Like, this is bad, blah, blah, blah. Or maybe it was like, mad. they like saw like a really sad one um, where like everyone just dies terribly at the end. Um, <laughs> he was like, I hate this. And then she like brought him again to um, a lighter one. I think it was probably the marriage of Figaro if I had to guess, but I don't know. And he was like, no, like, this is cool. Like, this is, like, a story I can follow and a story that I enjoy. So I just, like, yeah, I think it's just being exposed to the right parts of it at times when you can ingest that. Um, 
because I, I, yeah, I think a big barrier is the fact that many aren't in English, yeah. sort of. Yeah. Oh, so that's like I think you brought up a really good point is the like the language aspect because um, I had like a previous guest mentioned the like language aspect too, but this is like one thing I don't really understand about Americans and like maybe this is just like me being also like part half like another nationality and like having that other aspect that ha- like gets to be in another language but like Americans very much just like want to be only in English and even like with the like the suddenly like reggaeton and like latin music like like, when despacito like swept the country i was like what is happening i didn't think america would be into this and i was gonna bring it up too yeah (laughs) i I think you're absolutely right like maybe now that latin latin music is sort of sweeping the nation and you have you know j balvin coming in hot and bad bunny like maybe now more Americans will be interested in opera. <laughs> um, so to get back to the point, <laughs> is that <laughs> yeah, Americans don't like foreign language content, and that I hadn't thought about that in the context of opera before. But mm-hmm. I think you're probably right that 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 does play a part because it. But also, I don't know, for me, I'm just like, even if I watch an English language opera, I would still have to look at the subtitles because they're still singing it in this like weird way where I still don't understand what they're saying. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I also think just like opera is viewed as like old and pretentious to a lot, like unrightfully. So that is an unrightful, like, 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 like stereotype. But I do think that um, it's probably just you know like how many how many american movies and television shows um, involved people going to the opera i can think of two off the top of my head and like neither one particularly painted opera in a like fascinating light you know like it's just not it just like it's not super in our culture so that is my that is my spiel on opera in, in popular culture, which is that it really doesn't exist in the popular culture. Like Broadway does and ballet does to a certain extent. But Yeah. I mean, can you think of anything that has just sort of made opera seem seductive in the eyes of y- young Americans? No. no. I mean, I didn't even like care about opera before last summer. And then... Like, I would never have, like, gone into it if I just didn't have someone, like, around me watching it all the time. Mm-hmm. And I was just, like, walking by the TV while my mom was watching it. And I'd be like, the hell is the happening is here? So yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's super similar. Um, I guess what I can say is uh, keep keep opera, keep opera on. Listen to it a lot. And if you have children and you want your children to be interested in opera, like – pick operas where they can relate to the storylines and they and they can follow the storylines because like some are just so friggin' confusing and long and sad do you have recommendations for people who might want to get into opera uh as an adult as a young adult yeah yeah i think that um 
I think that like, once again, like the magic for flute is kind of opera light, you know, it's, it's more mass produced and packaged than I think most other operas are. Um, and it's a wackadoo story, which is fun. <laughs> Uh, but then, yeah, I, I, I really think like the Marriage of Figaro is super, or the Barber of Seville and the Marriage of Figaro, um, which are follow sort of the same cast of characters, but the Barber of Seville is a Rossini opera and the Marriage of Figaro is a Mozart opera. Those are, those are good ones, um, easy to digest. And um, really any, any of the big ones like Carmen, for example, I, I, Carmen's not my favorite, but a lot of like there was like a Hey Arnold episode where Carmen was a part of it. Like it's one of those operas that is, that has a more familiar soundtrack to it. So mm-hmm. if that's like more comfortable, um, that'd be like another, another recommendation, but yeah, anything by Mozart or Rossini, it's just like classic. La Boheme is another one. Um, that's a Puccini. Which is a, yes. Which is another one that like, just cause people have seen Rent. I'll wrap it up. Um, what did you think of the opera? Um, I'm very excited to watch it and watch it staged. I think I need that one scene to uh, come to life in front of me. Um, I think it sounds great. I think it sounds hilarious. I think that um, that you did a great job of walking, of like keeping track of these like very confusing characters and who is whose page. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I'm I. I think it sounds like something I'd love to watch. Do you want the Met On Demand link? I would love the Met On Demand link. <laughs> I will do that tonight, too. I, I really don't have much going on outside of work in this. <laughs> okay, cool. Cool. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'll send you all the links. Perfect. Thank you for being on the show. And thank you for listening. And um, if you don't already, follow our social media accounts at opera.apero on Instagram and at opera.apero on Twitter. And uh, we'll be back with another episode in two weeks. So until then, go watch some opera. Bye. Bye. Bye.